Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thanks for joining me for another Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. And for those that are listeners to our companion series, The Green Peak, hosted by Richard Zwicky, you might have heard of my next guest. She is an entrepreneur, investor, and corporate dealmaker with more than a decade of experience building and scaling businesses personally and professionally. She's presented alongside Tony Robbins in the U.S. and Canada and has six cannabis licenses that are minority or women-owned. I'm here with the founder and CEO of CB Advisors, which is Cannabis Business Advisors. Sarah Gullickson here on Blunt Business. Sarah, thanks for being on. Thank you so much. That was quite the intro. <laughs> and I must say, every December, down here in West Palm Beach, where I live, Tony Robbins will have his conference down here. And the, the the seminars he has, it's, you know, like over like a weekend, I think it is. And I can't believe the groundswell of people that show up for his events. And I can only imagine being associated with, you know, in presenting alongside him and the presence and the power that you get from just that kind of appeal and that kind of, you know, the outreach that he gets. And you get yeah. that some kind of feeling to yourself. It's got to be something exhilarating. So I want to, uh, there's always some other questions I know Richard would ask, obviously, in the ends of uh, advising, but I have a few things that, where I wanted to have your expertise. Sure. So now, MJ Biz Daily recently wrote that the cannabis industry is expected to endure more layoffs and pain in 2023 and perhaps beyond after a tough year marked by companies cutting hundreds of employees amid falling wholesale prices and slowing demand. The layoffs have involved a range of businesses, including large multi-state operators, the MSOs. They went on the report that consumers are spending less to prepare for a possible recession. Combined with a lack of movement on the Safe Banking Act or any other major federal reform, investors have taken notice. And you have said, uh, in this, this situation, you have said now, quote, capital has gone by the wayside and businesses are having to course correct. End quote. Tell me what measures you've been noticing right now in this current recessionary, inflationary environment that cannabis is dealing with and others. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's so many different factors when you open up this conversation or this can of worms. Um, and so, you know, the multi-state operators grew so fast and they had their projections laid out on the table and they thought that they were going to do certain numbers and a lot of them didn't, right? I would say most of them didn't do what they projected. So at some point, I think that investors stop, stopped feeling super safe investing in the big corporations. And then now you have your mom and pa's that are, you know, local entrepreneurs that are securing licenses. And back, you know, a couple of years ago, everybody wanted to dump their money into like a public vehicle or a, you know, big conglomerate. And now people are saying, if the big guys can't make it, how are these small guys going to make it? So, you know, I think that it's much, much harder to access capital right now. Um, you know, I think that the unlimited license markets have a lot to do with that, where before there was security in that license. So just in your piece of paper, let alone the actual business that you were going to attach to it, we're in a lot of markets that doesn't exist anymore. Um, there's different types of licensing structure that are kind of shaking it up, like the social equity licenses. 
Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, when you talk about people not, the consumer not spending money, I mean, when's the last time you bought groceries? Like, we are headed into a recession. Things are so much more expensive today than they even were, you know, a year ago or six months ago. And so I think that not only are we feeling it on the top from the corporation level, but we are definitely feeling it from the consumer level where, you know, people are pitching pennies. They're bracing themselves for what's to come. They went on to write in this MJ Business Daily article that the cannabis industry's layoffs have dovetail with cuts at mainstream companies and wholesale names like Goldman Sachs. Twitter, Facebook, Parent, Meta, and Amazon has shed thousands of employees. So, you know, cannabis industry is not without its own similar cases in mainstream industries. They're dealing with the same issues as well. But the cannabis industry pressures, which I think you just kind of alluded to here, is uh, including more consolidation and streamlining, streamlining streamlining operations, price compression and oversaturated markets, high interest rates and challenges raising capital, and formerly limited license states expanding license numbers. Now, one area I've talked to quite a bit is about high interest rates and challenges raising, raising capital and for lenders to be out there to go and offer loans to companies, whether it's uh, revenue-based or if it's cash uh, flow positive-based. But uh, talk to me, sir, about the balance between maintaining a continued growth trend to stay on track for possible legalization, because that's what we're just talking about right now. Everybody thought, well, there's just kind of the blueprint, the plant, the five-year business plan, and nothing's going to get in the way of that. But with cannabis, we already know that there's already the obstacles of trying to get lending and getting seed money, if it's going to be there for you or if not. And then the growth, making sure that certain states are greenlit and then federal will get greenlit eventually. But we're seeing that that timeline is not going to stay pretty steady. Yeah, no, I mean, there's just so many different variables there in the sense that, you know, the way we advise clients was never in this like grandiose vision of, you know, you're going to be printing millions in a year. It's just not the way that we've ever done our projections. And so we've always, you know, ensured that clients are coming into it with the right lens, with the right growth strategy, being slow and steady wins the race. It just does. So I think with this huge land grab we saw everybody do where it was like, you know, a lot of the corporations picking up licenses, picking up licenses, what happened is they didn't have the staff or they didn't have the infrastructure to actually pay attention to the licenses that they were picking up and buying or the businesses that were, you know, needing help with capital that they were absorbing. And so I think when you talk about operations, that's, you know, very important. And I think that that's one of the things that went by the wayside where it's like, what are our SOPs? What are our core competencies? What's our niche in the market? Meaning why are consumers going to want to come to us over everybody else? And so I think that, you know, there was an overall like lack of culture or lack of buzz within those businesses to ensure that when consumers come in, they're going to keep repeating and coming back. So, you know, I think that I think it was just, you know, nobody knew knew what this was going to do. Nobody knew the recession was coming and things like that. And so, you know, I think that everybody felt this pressure and I think the pressure exists or the buzz exists in the industry where it's like fear of missing out or you know, things move so fast. I've described the industry in, you know, dog years multiple times because for one of our years, it's about seven years of growth. Um, and so I think that people just were a lot, were very, very overzealous in, you know, picking up distressed assets or applying for more licenses. And then the revenues didn't match what their, you know, projections looked like. So, I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. And then you add a recession on top of it and, you know, you're not in a good spot. Agreed. 
We're going to go to commercial break. When I come back, with I want to go and talk to you more about some of the issues where take a little bit of the case study into some of the companies and what they've been dealing with in itself and what you've noticed about what's happened with companies that were making the aggressive growth but had to go ahead and scale back. And now they're having to go ahead and make cuts or unload properties that they had bought at a loss. We're going to talk about that here with Sarah Gullickson, who is the founder and CEO of CB Advisors here on Blood Business, back after a short break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back. I'm here with Sarah Gullickson, the founder and CEO of CB Advisors. So in the story we were talking about from MJ Biz Daily, I mentioned about how they are talking about the layoffs and pain in 2023 that the cannabis industry is undergoing as we speak. One of the stories they focused on was a current up. And of course, we've talked to Jessica Billingsley here, not on this program, but over on Plant Profits and uh, other series. And with a current up, or what was formerly MJ Freeway, uh, they had a sale where they purchased 365 cannabis back. Uh, they had originally bought it. I, I forget how much it was. I think it was either four or $6 million, $6 million. But what happened was this now is that They've had to go ahead and sell that business back to some of the business software firm's previous investors in a deal worth roughly $2.8 million, which is a loss for what they paid for it back in 2021. They wrote services are specialized and needed by the broader cannabis industry. The problems facing cultivars, the cultivators, excuse me, and retailers are trickling down to non-plant touching ancillary companies. You said, quote, we're seeing a trickle down effect, end quote. And we and went on to say, quote, as Capital and revenue declines on the plant-touching side. It strangles many of the ancillary businesses that rely on those operators for their customer base, end quote. So these companies, that's the, the crux, is that they're not touching anything that is plant-touching operated, but anything else is outside of that gamut. They're unloading, and now they're having to go make those cuts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're going to see it on the top, you're going to see it on the bottom. So I wouldn't say we're insulated from it as an ancillary business, but... I would say that what we used to charge for projects is a lot different today versus what it is, you know, was back then. And I think that is a natural progression in the industry where what we used to do was like very specialized. And now there's so much more talent that's flooded into the market where there's, you know, multiple PR and marketing firms, there's multiple security firms, there's multiple software. Um, you know, I think the co company you were just discussing, they used to be the only show in town. And then now, all of a sudden, there's a bunch of software companies that are coming online. So all of a sudden, overnight, you have a bunch of competition. And if you're not keeping up with the, you know, technology trends or your infrastructure, people are going to go to, you know, other other companies. Um, you know, and technology, I think, is a really interesting one in the industry because I think that a lot of people were like lobbying on a federal level or on a state level as technology companies to say, hey, select us. And make make all of your your you know cultivators and dispensaries use us. And if it's written into the legislation, there's not you don't get to pick. That's who you have to use. And so I think that there were 
a lot of different factors that had to do with like the technology side of it. Um, but on all the ancillary business side of it, I think that, you know, there were such limited talent in the industry seven, eight, nine years ago. And now people have caught on and created a segment within their business that just specializes in cannabis or ditch the rest of their, you know, niche markets that they were servicing before and only are doing cannabis. So, you know, I think that I think that it's just, again, a natural progression for the industry as it evolves. I mean, when I started in the industry, you couldn't even Google strains on the Internet. So, I mean, we've come a long way from there in 13 years. Agreed. But now it's the, the part where of the ancillary companies that are not plant touching, what are some of the areas that you've seen the most right now that have been the first to see cuts? You know, really what it comes down to is, uh, is this going to be a continued habit? And what are the companies that have been servicing the cannabis industry that are being most affected and what those companies should be aware of? Because that might be coming at some point that they might be taken off the budget. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone is. And it's a matter of like, I've always kept the firm really small because I didn't want a big corporation and I wanted to work with the people that I wanted to work with. And I didn't want to work with the people that I didn't have to work with. Now, if I had 20 staff, you know, and I was feeding their families, I'd have to work with everybody and I'd have to get out there and hustle and I'd have to do the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that I think it's across the board. I think that there are all the ancillary companies have to be feeling this major, major, major shift in the industry where before they could add a 20% cannabis tax and charge 20% more when they were the only show in town and take advantage of people. And now there's so much talent to choose from that, you know, you can be selective, you can negotiate, you can put three bids in front of, you know, your security company or your contractors or your FF&E companies and say, hey, this is what this guy's charging or this is what this girl's charging. Will you match it? And people are doing that now. Um, you know, we're opening facilities in a couple different markets right now, and that's just the reality of it. Um, you know, and I think that a lot of the like bad characters are are getting out of the industry as well, where, you know, if you didn't have cannabis references, you know, six, seven years ago, it wasn't that big of a deal. And now it's like, show me your portfolio, show me your work, show me the people that you've actually worked with. And so the industry, while it's going through somewhat of a crisis right now, the industry is smarter today than it's ever been. And so I think that's a good thing where, you know, the industry will clean up and shape up and some of the ancillary businesses and plant touching businesses that maybe shouldn't have been there in the first place are going to, you know, kind of go move on to the next thing. With that said, those businesses are taken out of the budget. Is there any concern at all where companies might come back and say, okay, well, we need these kind of services again. We need to outsource once again. We're not going to bring somebody in third house and in house. So we need third party. But then there also becomes this whole idea. Well, maybe there's some automation out there. Maybe there's something that's AI or machine learning proficient that we might go to instead. Is that something where, I mean, do you see there are any sectors that could be affected altogether where companies I mean, very much in a corporate sense, especially with the MSO, they might just say, well, there's got to be something we can get that's even more automated that we can just kind of handle ourselves and we don't have to pay somebody else. We just pay for the service, just the software, whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, we're feeling that in in our business specifically where it's like standard operating procedures and you've seen some of the companies that can lay the regulations on top of the standard operating procedures through technology, which it doesn't take a body anymore to draft your standard operating procedures, which 
I mean, we used to charge $25,000 or more for standard operating procedures for a vertical because it's labor intensive. And now that there's technology that can pull down all the regulations of all the different programs, input the SOPs and kind of lay it on top of it, all of those things are going to be a huge game changer. And the people that weren't anticipating that in their business, you know, I mean, what do you say? Like you have to anticipate change and growth and technology and, um, you know, the industry to evolve from the place that it was when it started. And so like for us, my job in the firm is constantly trying to innovate and figure out how we can ebb and flow with the regulatory compliance changes, with the unlimited license changes, with all the different changes that we face. And that's that's a daily thing you have to think about. That's not just something that you think about once a year or once a quarter. I mean, the the strong entrepreneurs will remain in the industry with all of these changes because they have the foresight to ebb and flow with the industry. And always we come back to compliance and I talk about it a lot on this program, even more than I even think. I imagine I wouldn't even do that. But with compliance, you know, if you can cut corners, that's what companies want to do. Let's just be honest. They're going to find ways where, well, let's, maybe this track and trace software will go ahead and do our, make our answers for us. And I'll tell you, I talked to somebody uh, on our grassroots marketing series, and I was part of the coverage we did for the NoCo Hemp Expo in uh, Northern Colorado a couple weeks ago. And somebody was on with me that specifically does standard operating procedures, that's standalone business, doing those customizable twenty dollars to $40,000 plans to do that on an annual basis to help a company get and create a customized SOP. But as like you said, now companies are looking at, well, we can probably find a way to make a workaround for this and we don't have to pay anybody. We can just find something that'll just kind of put everything in one place and we can just find some kind of mousetrap that'll work. Mm-hmm. But do you feel like that while you have kind of had to go and curb yourselves as CV advisors from really knowing that, that that's not being something that a lot of companies are taking advantage of, which you could do, but do you feel like it's going to be a point because of regulation that's going to have to become a necessity for them again? Because, you know, say for the hemp industry, you know, the FDA is no longer going to be the regulatory body. They've kicked the can over to the reg- to the policymakers. They're going to set a bill as going to be made law, and so it's not going to be some three-letter organization handling things. It's the federal government now that's going to oversee hemp, CBD, and then cannabis will go in the same play. Does that make a difference? Is that something that where you say in your back pocket? These companies are going to come back to us. You're going to call us back. For sure. I mean, I don't think that there's like one size fits all solution to the industry. So especially when you're talking about federal legalization, I don't. I You could maybe have somebody spit out SOPs that would work for your business, right? Right. But you still have to train your staff on them. You still have to understand them yourself. You still have to customize them for your track and trace, for your culture, for your community. And so, like, you know, technology is a great thing, obviously. And technology has been, you know, utilized, I think, even more in the sense where I used to fly and meet people like before we would sign a deal. And like with COVID, that definitely went away. But technology can only replace or get you to a certain place, right? You still have to have a thought leader involved or somebody to strategize with you to tweak the SOPs or to tweak the technology to actually get it into your brick and mortar store. So like things like that, I don't 
I don't worry about that really. It's like technology is here to enhance what we're already doing. If there's a better way for us to get the baseline SOPs done that are compliant, and then all we need to consult on is how to actually like make them a real live thing in the store, I'm all for that. Um, You know, I just think that there's so many idiosyncrasies when you talk about the cannabis industry. And if you're like layering regulatory compliance and federal on top of um, state to down to municipality, like I don't know that there's ever going to be a tool that's going to like completely wipe out all that while still understanding how to like, you know, get it into the store and get it into the hands of your employees. So maybe I'm old school in that way. Or maybe I'm overcomplicating it in my head because I just understand the idiosyncrasies of running one of these businesses. But, you know, I look at it as something that's great. It's great movement for us where it's like, you know, human capital is expensive. And if we can get something that's going to like push us along in the process to get us to where we actually need to go and then scale it up from there, I'm all for it. You were interviewed for an article of McCannabis and Tech Today. And it was about how while the cannabis market expands worldwide with new strains, upstart cannabis manufacturers and many established entities, the need for cannabis companies to differentiate differentiate themselves is immediate. Quote, and you said, I'm paraphrasing, that people involved in the cannabis world, quote, must be okay doing something innovative and different, end quote. And you urge companies to invest the extra time and resources required to create a brand whether that means hiring someone in-house or another professional. So talk to me about the extent to which companies need to consider this. Yeah, absolutely. So we've my background's branding. So I love branding. I eat, sleep, breathe it. I think that every business should have, you know, this, this great brand and the feel that's brought through the facility. I think that culture is very important. Um, and for me, if you have a cannabis business that doesn't have like a niche or that sort of like branding vibe, you know, I feel like you're putting yourself in a really bad spot just because as we're seeing more licenses come online and this not be like a captive audience that basically they have one choice to come to and it's you, like what are you going to do to attract the customer? So for me, that's one of my most favorite problems to solve. And we always did that in our request for proposals or requests for applications when we were drafting applications. And I honestly believe that that's always what made us win where a lot of the people would just write like, here's how we're going to run it. You know, here's our basic, boring, standard operating procedures and we're politically connected, so pick us. And I always looked at it as like a more interesting project or a more as interesting problem where it's like, you know, how do we really ingrain ourselves in the community and how do we really figure out what the community needs or what the community would stand for? Um, You know, how do we incorporate different languages in our education? How do we attract different demographics. As we know, like most patients or most consumers, when you look at the studies, it's, you know, it used to be, you know, baby boomer white. And so how do you make other cultures or, you know, different races feel safe coming into the facility? So for me, that's like what gives your whole store its vibe when you can really tailor to a wide audience and you can tailor your you know, scripting, you can tailor how the facility looks, feels, brand colors, um, you know, and that's that's a basic business practice that all like, you know, I mean, how much do you think Nike paid for their swoosh? I mean, I'm sure it was many, many marketing teams, many branding teams that came up with that. And so um, for me, I think that that's especially in these unlimited license markets where people are going to 
be the people at the finish line instead of kind of fall by, off by the wayside because, you know, they didn't think of that. We're going to go back to a commercial break. When we come back, I want to go ahead and uh, talk to you about, it was a, <laughs> I love this. There was a, you, there's an area topic that you talked about on a podcast recently, and it's going against the stigma that some people try to say that if you use cannabis, you're fat. Those are the words I heard you say on the podcast. We're going to talk about that after a short break. I'm here with Sarah Gullickson, the founder and CEO of CB Advisors. And by the way, if you want to go to our website, uh, go ahead and check out now, cannabisbusinessadvisors.com and come back for a short break. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Welcome back to Blunt Business. I'm here with Sarah Gullickson from Cannabis Business Advisors, cannabisbusinessadvisors.com. Make sure to look at the website. You appeared on the AZ Big Podcast with Michael and Amy. You know, uh, you spoke with them and you said that one of the topics you've been most interested in talking about lately is, quote, if you use cannabis, you're fat, end quote. Salon.com actually wrote about cannabis metabolism and wrote this. Many people are convinced that cannabis can help with shedding pounds or maintaining a healthy weight. Some of us where it helps with diabetes. They went on the right that research indicates that cannabis users also tend to have lower body mass index even if this is an imperfect metric for weight and body, bodily health. And a former guest on Canvas Radio, Dr. Peter Grinspoon, a primary care physician at Harvard Medical School, he told Salon this, quote, Any of us who have used cannabis can attest to the fact that it can make you very hungry. But contrary to stereotypes, chronic cannabis users in several studies have been shown to show, have a lower BMI. There's sort of a paradox here. And it's not entirely understood why chronic cannabis users tend to be less overweight than non-cannabis users. So, first of all, if you can kind of take us back to what you were referring to about your interest in cannabis and health and why you feel like this needs to be clarified. You know, I think it's like this old school conversation of like, you're lazy if you smoke pot. And that was just such a like fear-mongering standpoint of the industry. And I think that the persona that was painted of a cannabis user 10 years ago, or even the way some people think about it today is just that, right? It's like you're sitting playing video games, you're not active, and all that. And now that the industry has evolved, and now that people are, you know, swapping cannabis for alcohol, and that's just like a normal conversation in the industry now, it's like you don't have calories associated with cannabis. You have calories associated with wine, you have calories associated with beer. And then when you add in a hangover the next day and you want to eat like burger and everything like that, you know, it's it's I just feel like the alcohol industry, you know, it's it's a lot. It's a depressant. It's a downer. Right. And so with cannabis, I feel like a lot of people are doing more active things when they're consuming. It's like, you know, smoke a joint, and go on a hike or, you know, like basically, you know, have an edible and cook really like a really great healthy meal. And so I think that the the picture that people have in their head of who a cannabis consumer is changing. It's changing really slow, though. And so I think that that's just such an old school mentality to me. It just is. I like this this train of thinking right here because I'll tell you this. And look, the stereotype is horrible. And, we, and I've always said with Cannabis Radio from the beginning, when we first started the network, I always made a point to the management team and, the, and to the staff, we want to not be placated to the stoner stereotype. We want to respect it. And the, and the people that came before us, the pioneers came before, we respect them greatly. But we know this business is going to be much more 
normalized. We want this to be where cannabis is part of everyday life. One of the things I'll tell you, there's a couple of things I got to say. So number one, you know, when you see people that are out, there might be cannabis users. There's the whole thought of, well, you know, they're, they might be stoners. They might have like lots of tattoos, their hair color, you know, might have a look of just not looking healthy looking. The other part is, well, I was in New York City a couple of weeks ago, um, long story short, um, walking around Manhattan. This is between what, Times Square down to Columbus Circle. So you're talking about what, 40 blocks or whatever of Manhattan right there between 5th and 8th Avenue. And looking at all the cannabis-related dispensaries or head shops, all in green, all with stoner stereotype embedded in it, branding, packaging of the products on the shelves and up on the window fronts, you see it. It just, nothing else wants to be in front except for those occasions where there are companies that are branding and packaging and looking for something different. You know, they're not all going to be med men at the end of the day, but... You still see a lot more people, a lot more companies, and a lot more brands still saying, we have to stick to this. This is what's tried and true. As if there's no other, there's, nobody wants to be, as you said yourself, as I said earlier in the interview, you must be okay doing something innovative and different. So we have to showcase the type of person that's the modern day cannabis user, expose that more. And number two, where people are going to get their product. Absolutely. And I think that that dovetails off the conversation that we had earlier, which is your brand, right? And your niche. And so a lot of times when we launch businesses in the cannabis industry, specifically like retail or product lines, we run through who their demographic is. And our demographics are robust in the sense that the demographics people forget about are some peds patients are using this, meaning some minors. And so like, where are the lines for that? And I think that at some point, some of the segments are a little too niche to have like their own product line, especially while um, state lines are still closed where you actually have to like manufacture your product in Ohio if you're selling in Ohio. But I think it's going to be, you know, a really interesting thing to see who stands when state lines open and when people can distribute it all the over the United States because there will be all these niche products. Um, a woman that I'm really good friends with here She's doing um, her product line is called Rubbery, and she's doing like a um, menopause line. And it's like, hello, like all of these different, like super unique segments that can benefit fit from the use of cannabis. Uh, you know, it's they're coming, and and we're seeing it happen slowly. It's just hard because of the state line conversation, where it's like you have to go out, you have to get your JV, or you have to go and get your license to produce these products, but. You know, I think once things open up and I think as companies dip their toe into being innovative instead of just saying like, this is what we're going to do because we've always done it, um, you know, I think that it's going to be a, a much more interesting conversation. Um, New York's a little different because a lot of those shops are illegal, so they're not going to like spend the money on like, you know, blowing them out and getting restoration hardware furniture in the waiting room. Or, you know, they're gonna they're gonna go to IKEA and they're gonna get to make pot leaves everywhere. Um, and so, like for me, I specialize in limited license markets, and like we've done some very very beautiful stores. And my goal with that is not to spend all the dollars; it's to break the stigmas. And I think that's what all of this is about. Wonderful. All right. Well, with that said, I wanted to ask one other thing that we had that you make mention of. Um, do you have a website called how to open a dispensary.com and love that you have this resource here. Uh, one of the things you talk about is that you actually provide 
through Cannabis Business Advisors, a cannabis market analysis of the latest industry trends and opportunities in states with cannabis programs. And I noticed that you constantly have news and information from various states. What is Green Green Lit? What programs are looking like right now in various states? You've been following along with that. So that resource alone should get people compelled to go ahead and follow what you're doing. So if you can, uh, let's talk about that. And also uh, anything else in terms of you know, just resources, information, and how people can work with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you for like opening that conversation up. So I sold my first consulting company in 2018. And, you know, back in the day, since we were boutique, if we would get busy, people would like beg us. They'd be like, work with us, work with us, work with us. And so we created white paper product that we put online and sold online. So and that was like a very, very um, lucrative revenue stream for us. And so it was like I looked at it as like at least we can help these people that like, you know, maybe don't have a consultant that is going to guide them through this. And so when I sold that company, it was something I think that they still have intact. It was called dispensarytemplates.com. Um, but I wanted to do like kind of a 2.0 version of that. And so we have some courses on there where people can like learn how to do it themselves kind of a thing. And then we're trying to add, you know, resources on there on a weekly basis because of all these unlimited license processes where they don't necessarily have a consultant holding their hand through the application process. So they're going to just, you know, fill out a form or enter into a lottery. And then all of a sudden they're going to have this business. Well, they didn't have a six month or a year long crash course to actually get that license. So we thought that people would want to download, you know, some marketing, you know, information or product launch information, um, you know, for the people that are kind of like the DIYers. Um, and so that's just kind of like something that we keep building out. And as the phone rings and people ask for certain things that they don't want to pay like a consultant for, we're trying to get a bunch of those products online. Um, I will say it's been, been a slower start to the project because we're so busy still with like the custom stuff, which was obviously our bread and butter. Um, but we just knew that if we started putting that information out there, the industry trends were going to change because we launched it like two years ago, soft launched it. Um, and so it's existed out there. Um, and now we're just kind of ramping it up to make sure that, you know, people have the information at their fingertips and, you know, people can also request templates from us too. So it's like, hey, I see you don't have this product here. Is it something you'd be willing to develop? Sure. We'll develop it. You buy it and then we'll put it on. Sarah, I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to me today. A lot of great information being told, and that's why people need to go and continue to go and work with you, Sarah, and all the valuable information that you provide and all the consulting that you do right now for companies large and small. CannabisBusinessAdvisors.com. Make sure to go ahead and contact Sarah and her team about that. And with that said, thank you, Sarah, founder CEO of Cannabis Business Advisors. Thank you for being on the program. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you, listeners for listening to another Vault Business. We'll talk to you next time.
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.